Welcome to the Movement Logic Podcast with yoga teacher and strength coach Laurel Beversdorf and physical therapist Dr. Sarah Court. With over 30 years combined experience in the yoga, movement, and physical therapy worlds, we believe in strong opinions loosely held, which means we're not hyping outdated movement concepts. Instead, we're here with up-to-date and cutting-edge tools, evidence, and ideas to help you as a mover and a teacher. Welcome to episode 14 of the Movement Logic Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Court, and I'm here with my co-host, Laurel Beversdorf. Today, we're talking about burnout. What is burnout? How do we avoid it? What do we do when it happens? How do we, how do we know that it's happening? And why do we see so much of it in the yoga and movement teacher world? You know, and, and Laurel and I are, as always, coming at this from different perspectives. I am a physical therapist. Laurel is a strength coach and yoga teacher, but we tend to have sort of similar, but yeah, but like complementary uh, opinions about a lot of things. So we, as always, we haven't scripted this conversation. We, we picked a topic and got excited about it, uh, but we've never had this conversation before. It's really just the two of us thinking out loud, bouncing ideas off of each other. And sometimes I think that's when the, the greatest um, kind of brain nuggets come out <laughs> kerplop so, yeah kerplop <laughs> that's the sound of my one brain nugget <laughs> per day i say one smart thing per day <laughs> and it goes fully kerplop Ker out of my plop. mouth and then i'm like oh thank god now i can go take a nap i don't have to think anymore i feel lighter now exactly exactly all right so Burnout. Let's define what burnout is. Uh, what is burnout? And I made myself laugh when I was making my notes for this because I was thinking about every school paper anyone ever writes that mm. starts with Webster's Dictionary defines. This is how <laughs> we. I, this is how we do it here. Yeah. So so I actually quite honestly did go into Webster's Dictionary and Webster's Dictionary <laughs> defines burnout as the cessation of operation, usually of a jet or rocket engine. And I was like, well, that's not that's what I relevant. Mean. I mean, if cessation or uh, uh, of operation is kind of what burnout is. But then yeah. it goes on to say exhaustion of physical or emotional strength or motivation mm. really as a result of prolonged stress or frustration. <laughs> and then also uh, to cause to fail, wear out or become exhausted, especially from overwork or overuse. So... Since we are, this is not a podcast about jet engines, uh, we're going to talk about the other definitions, but it, it, it feels relevant, the jet engine one. Yeah, um, as a metaphor. Yeah. So, so Laurel, I've heard you talk before about uh, just sort of, you know, in passing about how burnout, how you experience burnout, what it looks like for you when, when it hits you, what your psychological and emotional state and it's not something where you're, you're, my understanding, I mean, for me as well, it's not something where you're walking around going, I have, you know, physical and emotional exhaustion. Like you don't necessarily recognize it as that, right? I certainly yeah. don't. So, yeah. so can you not talk about all. when you feel burnout, what it, what that experience is like, how it hits you? Yeah, it, it usually takes me a while to figure it out. Like yeah. you said, like, I'm not just walking around like, I am present with my experience right now. And it is physical and emotional exhaustion. <laughs> it's, it's more like, I start to become bored. And 
I was thinking about like boredom and how actually I think boredom is a pretty good thing a lot mm -hmm. of the times. And like in some cases when I'm burnt out, what I probably need is more of that good kind of boredom mm -hmm. where I'm not scheduled to the hilt and I have some time that is on, uh, you know, committed mm -hmm. to think about what am I going to do now? I don't know, you know? And so it's not that kind of boredom of, of having openness in the schedule and not knowing what to do with it or being on vacation, for example, like the, the boredom of being on vacation and having, you know, set boundaries around cell phone and work. That's a wonderful boredom um, that I, again, when I'm burnt out, feel like I need more of that type of boredom. The boredom I'm talking about when I'm burnt out is more of a, I don't care about this. Mm. Why are we doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I working so hard at this? What is happening right now? Does this matter to anyone? And <laughs> it's usually that it doesn't matter to me. And mm -hmm. it's usually that it doesn't matter to me because I've taken it too far and gotten off track a little bit. So whether that's taken, you know, uh, computer time too far or taken um, just a particular endeavor a little too far, like teaching maybe privates or teaching group classes. You know, when I was first starting out as a teacher, I, I took on a lot and mm -hmm. it took a couple of years, but eventually I was like, I'm burnt out taking on too many teacher trainings at a, at a mm -hmm. particular time. Um, you know, and, and also I could talk about, uh, you know, burnout with physical exercise. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I've had the like, uh, scientific definitions of burnout, which are you know, non-functional overreaching and overtraining syndrome, but I've definitely gotten to places where like things weren't, uh, you know, I wasn't supporting my body with enough, for example, sleep, or mm -hmm. I was not eating well to sustain mm -hmm. the amount of physical activity that I was doing and would have burnout from that. Um, and it, it's just, it's a feeling of like, I don't want to cause I'm bored. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what, cause I don't care. That's mm -hmm. kind of what it feels like to me. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Mm. Um, I have some of that same, but, but for me, a lot of the time it shows up as, um, just, I don't care. Like, I don't care about my clients. Um, like I, I, and I remember specifically when I, the first time I had really, really gnarly burnout as a PT was when I was working a 40 hour clinic schedule, which is actually not unusual. Most PTs do like, you know, nine to five every day or they'll do four 10 hour shifts. Like they'll, Sounds I mean, brutal. I was seeing eight patients, a, you know, I, and I get to see patients on the hour. Um, so I was seeing eight patients a day, but there's plenty of PTs that see three patients per hour and they're doing 24 patients a day. Like there's a, you know, relentlessness to it. And I, mm. I really specifically remember uh, a client patient talking to me and they were talking about their low back pain. And I remember in my head, I was just like, I don't care. Mm. I don't care about your back pain. I don't care if I make you feel better or like it was a, it was just a, an extreme, like I've, I've lost all desire to give a shit. Am I mm -hmm. allowed to swear on this podcast? I don't know. Yes. Well, it's your podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it also showed up as just being very um, irritable. I was yeah. very snappy. I was very short tempered. I was just, everyone was, was irritating to me. I had, mm. I had, and, and I think what that's an, an, a, a, a symptom of is, having no space left. Like I, I felt like I had very little room for anything to be wrong. Like mm -hmm. 
if I was stuck in traffic, I couldn't handle it. If, um, you know, somebody said something and I didn't think it was funny, I couldn't handle it. You know, like there was just so little space for anything mm -hmm. to be, you know, not quote unquote perfect. And um, so those two things, like feeling really irritable and feeling like I didn't, I wasn't caring about what I was doing, um, which by the way, I love my job. Usually yeah. I care so much. So the fact that I got to this place where I was literally like, I don't care. I was like, yeah. okay, something is going on, you know, something is, and, and something needs to change. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's interesting because I think for some people it shows up in, in other ways. It might, maybe you feel really weepy. Maybe you mm -hmm. are, you know, very like just, just kind of shut down. Maybe, mm. um, maybe it's sort of this over, like you, you think you're, you're super, super happy, but you're sort of just trying to force yourself to be super happy. Oh yeah. I, you know? I definitely, I, I can definitely get into a little bit of that as well yeah. of yeah. like just pushing through. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's, you know, while it's a, it's a, it's an experience that a lot of us have, but we have the experience in slightly different ways. And mm. I think it's useful. I mean, I think probably everybody at some point in their teaching career will have a burnout moment or two. Yeah. And yeah. so I think it's, I don't think it's the, you know, it's not a great feeling, but I think once you recognize it, once it's happened to you at least once, mm. then if you get yourself in a situation where it's starting to happen again, you can recognize it because you can be yeah. like, oh, wait a minute. Why is everybody annoying? I mean, I, I let's be fair. I find a lot of people annoying. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But like, you know, why am I feeling so edgy? Or, you know, if you yeah. have that kind of clarity of like, I don't care about something, which you and I seem to do, but, but experience it in a slightly different way yeah. so that you can see it coming. And then, and then that way, at least you're, um, kind of ready. You yep. Know? I, the part of it for me as well was, uh, you know, because I was so scheduled, um, I didn't, things that I was supposed to do for fun, I didn't want to do because mm -hmm. all I wanted to do was not be scheduled. So mm. even if it was like, let's go to a movie, it's at four o'clock. I'd be like, Ugh. You know, because it was like mm -hmm. another thing I had to do. It was Completely. another commitment, you know? Yeah. All all of the all of the commitments of like, I have to remember this time on this day to go mm -hmm. do this little thing can be like the straw that's about to break the camel's back. Like, I yeah. totally feel that. It's like, yeah. no, I can't handle one more thing. And there's also, yes. um, there's also something called being emotionally labile, which is, uh, I kind of... I have a lot of experience of it happening to me, but I, I kind of love it as a, as a, as a phrase. It's how I, you sound... I, I, all I can think of is labia. Like what is labile mean? <laughs> <laughs> just like, that's where my mind went immediately. It's when all of your feelings just flow from your uterus <laughs> out onto, no, that's not what it means at all. But it could be, is that it, that might be the etymology. I don't know. It might be, it might be. We have to look at. You know at, how emotional women are all the time. You know, just having too Calm down feelings. lady. Hey, listen, you need to calm down. <laughs> Um, lady <laughs> lady is my favorite hey lady you need to calm down i don't know like watch me punch you yeah um, but no emotionally labile is when you're you feel kind of like at the mercy of this sort of like tidal wave of different feelings that might just show up all of a sudden like it's 3 p.m on a monday and you're suddenly crying for no reason or no no apparent mm, reason nothing happened you know or fragile like, almost um, yeah, or and and just kind of like very very um, 
not having any sort of objectivity, just really kind of getting like bashed around by your feelings and that, that they yeah. can be anywhere on the spectrum and, and not have anything necessarily to do with what is immediately happening in your life in that moment. Mm. You know, somebody might say something completely benign and then you're just like grumpy mm-hmm. for the rest of the day. I have had that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, me too. You know, and so that's that's part of it as well when it's like, it's that thing where you don't have you know, bandwidth gets really overused as a phrase, but it's it's useful because mm-hmm. it's like, well, I don't have any more bandwidth. Mm-hmm. So the tiniest little thing. I have no more grace to give. Yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> just like, I got no room for, for this, yeah. you know? Yep. Um, so why do you think we see so much burnout in the yoga and movement teacher world? I, Laurel, I know why, or I have some thoughts around why it happens, but I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear what you think the reasons are. Well, if I think about what my schedule looked like for various parts of the beginning of my career and what I've heard from colleagues about their schedule is, you know, was it's not uncommon for movement teachers to be at least, you know, pre-pandemic when everything was in person to be running around a, a, an area city, New York City for example from gym to gym to gym or studio to studio to studio and teaching classes back to back all day long, then maybe going to people's houses and and doing one-on-one sessions. And so you are uh, doing something that's physically demanding, you're doing something that's emotionally demanding, and you're maybe, especially if you're heavy on the group classes and light on the privates, probably not making a ton of money for all of that effort put forth. Um, I think it's still really common, for example, that group class instructors make about 20 to $30 a class. Um, yeah, it's very, it's actually like, really still very common. (laughs) And this is like when I worked for one of the biggest yoga corporations in the world, my starting rate was $25 a class. And there was this policy that we cannot give you back to back classes. (laughs) So you've got to go to the studio, teach your hour, sometimes hour and a half class. This is back when like yoga classes were sometimes 90 minutes, it would depend on mine were usually 75 minutes and make $25 before taxes. (laughs) Right. Uh, and, you know, on top of that, as a newer teacher, there was a lot of cognitive overload because I was learning to teach. I was still learning to teach. And so it right. felt cognitively very demanding, physically very demanding. Um, and then all the anxiety, you know, of being new at something. So and, and, and also like worried about not having the numbers to remain on the schedule. Mm-hmm. So there were classes that you just were going to have a hard time filling because of the time, because of the whatever location it's that magic thing of like teacher time location class type right Mm -hmm. if all of the stars were not aligned you know despite your best efforts despite your talent despite you know all the good things you bring to the class it just it might be a failing class and therefore you've also got to worry about having even that measly 25 dollars taken away from you um and so it's it's uh it's difficult did the the yoga corporation that you worked for was there a specific number like you have to have x number of students in your class no it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like that it it was kind of like 
you know, they they also obviously they understood that it takes time to build classes and that there it will ebb and flow. And if you happen to get sick and sub your class out three weeks in a row, like that's going to hurt the numbers. But then you build them back up. So they did they did allow for there was some grace period and some wiggle room. But you know, mm-hmm. after a year, if you're still if the class is still not doing well, and look, I I get it. Like I think that um, despite you know, how much we might feel like it's unfair that group class instructors aren't paid fairly. The the fact of the matter is, and it's pretty like well known that operating a gym, operating a yoga studio is, is it's pretty difficult to be in the black as a studio owner, as a gym owner, you know, just like a restaurant, like the overhead is so high and the rents, especially in places like New York City are so high that it's actually difficult for the business to survive. And therefore, things like paying staff can, um, you know, you know, there's only so much money, right, Mm -hmm, coming mm -hmm. in, and therefore, there can only be so much money going out. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't I don't know the ins and outs of and I would never ever want to run a brick and mortar studio, but I I have a lot of empathy, actually, and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and whatnot for people who do take on that that business risk and and understand that like you know when you're signing up to be a group class teacher for a brick and mortar studio you're signing up to not be paid very much probably right. um, at least in the United States so okay. I also did a fair amount of teaching in Dubai and uh, those teachers in Dubai at the studio that I taught at made very good money and they were actually quite happy with the amount of money they were paid for their classes mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how that works in Dubai, but Dubai is not United States, right? So, um, but anyway, yeah, it's tough. The moral of the story is we all need to move to Dubai. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't know if I recommend that, but. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so so a lot of what you're saying is like why people experience burnout is, you know, I I had, my notes are are basically, you know, kind of the same thing. There, Hmm. There is that inherent lack of financial stability Mm. when you are an independent contractor, which is mm. someone who goes around and teaches at different studios, right? You're not, it's a very different job. You know, my brother worked a job for 20 years where he had a salary and he was there, you know, whatever hours he was there and he knew exactly what he was making every month and it never changed or he right. didn't when he got a raise, things like that. And it's not that kind of job. No. So <laughs> I think um, part of what happens as well because of that is you get that independent contractor mindset of you never say no to work, mm-hmm. right? You say yes. You right. say yes to everything because exactly. you don't know when something else, when it's going to show up. You don't know when a class is going to get taken away or, you know, a private client is going to say, oh, I'm going to uh, Dubai for three months or something right. and they're not taking it with them, right? Right. So it, um, there's, there's that habit of just saying yes to everything and then overfilling your schedule and then suddenly being like, oh no, like I, <laughs> mm-hmm. it is a, I think it is a, 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 it's a habit that I'm trying to break, but it's very hard. Yeah, and it is. I, I often I'll look at my day and I'll be like, oh, past Sarah, just really screwed future Sarah. <laughs> with now today, Sarah. What so, an asshole. You know, I know. That habit. Past Laurel is in my schedule. such an asshole yeah. sometimes. Such a jerk. Oh my yeah. God. She really Why'd you do that? screwed <laughs> but I, it's that habit of looking at the calendar, seeing space and being like, mm-hmm. oh, I can fill that space. Right. right? I'm That's not doing anything. And then right. not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's easy to get into really bad habits of not just like 
like planning filling your schedule, but just any moment that you have that you've got some free time mm. putting work in it, yep. you know, as opposed to letting it just be like, like my current bad habit that I'm trying to break is I wake up in the morning very early. Mm -hmm. uh, I get my coffee and then I get back into bed with my laptop and uh -huh. start working for yeah. like two hours yeah. and, then, and then go to work and do yeah. like go clinic for a half day and then maybe see yeah. some private in the afternoon. So my work day <sighs> was starting like the second I woke up mm. and I realized that was, that was a, a, a habit that was not, it was not giving me any space to, to regenerate, right? There's no right. time to kind of refill your own cup. But what's hard about it is there's always something that you could be doing. You know, right. and, and you and I both do a fair amount of work online. You do all of your work online at this point, right? Or most mm -hmm. of it, not all of it. No, no, all. But like, yeah. So Right now, so it's all. There's, yeah. 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 So there's always something. There's always an email that you could be prepping. There's always a social media post. There's always planning a class. There's always, there's never nothing, right? Yeah. It's never like, oh, I got to the end of my list. The list is just, so yeah. I had to start to really train myself um, how to, how to, you know, deal with that. Uh -huh. Um, and I want to, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but, yeah. um, and then also it's a very physically, you know, another, another reason, like you said, that people get burned out. It's a very physically demanding job. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it's something where it's like, I remember when I used to teach, when I would lived in New York and I would teach, you know, group classes and privates and things, I would get to the end of the day and people would be like, Hey, do you want to like go out? And I'd be like, no, because mm -hmm. I have, I don't no want to walk. Yeah, I, I, I want to lie down on a couch. Yeah. I don't, I've been talking. This is the other thing that people yeah, don't realize, talking. I think. Yeah. I remember when people used to say, oh, you're a yoga teacher. That must be so relaxing. And I'd be like, <sighs> yeah, so ironic. Because it's right? not, you know, yeah. you, you are, it's, it's physically tiring and you're act, you're talking like mm. all the time, yeah. you know, it's not a job. I, I would get like, and, and, and the same with, um with when I'm in the clinic, it's not the kind of job where. You know, when you're at, when you're doing your work, you're doing your work. You can't mm. be like, oh, I'm going to go on BuzzFeed and look at this listicle of like five pictures of Channing Tatum that are hot or something like, you know, and <laughs> it's not one of those jobs where you're like, oh, I do my little project. And then, you know, then I goof off for a minute. And, you know, like when you're working, there's nothing else that you can be doing in yeah. an hour, right? And and it's, so yeah, it's so good. it's, it's, you're talking, you're maybe demoing, you're moving around, mm -hmm. you're, you're taking on like what you're, what you're getting from your students, whatever that might be. Right. And, right. and then also on top of that, you're having to be 100% focused and present in the moment yes. for the entire duration of the class. That's what really yeah. struck me when I first started teaching was how actually demanding it was from a focus standpoint of like, mm -hmm. oh, this is because I went to acting school and, and spent quite a bit of time on stage where, you know, you have your lines memorized and you, and you have to be present and in the moment because that's really where the, the art comes alive in acting. But with yoga teaching, it's that plus now this is all, this is all, you know, you're making it up on the fly. Like you, you don't have script that you're mem memorizing unless you, you know, teach Bikram or whatever, but like you're just, you're coming up with the cues and responding in the moment to students. So that's, it's that step above even of like maybe improv for an hour mm -hmm. straight, you know, yeah. I can't imagine yeah. being an improv artist and improv for an hour straight. I mean, that's next level mind energy right. requiring right. and teaching is that. It is a lot. It yeah. is a lot yeah. of energy. And there's sort of like the psychological, the, the emotional, the, the energetic stress of that 
Mm-hmm. And also there's, like you said, the, the sort of your, if you're, if you're being that present in the moment, mm-hmm. it's almost unavoidable that you end up, uh, you know, <laughs> I think of it like off gassing, but like whatever, whatever the students are off gassing, mm-hmm. I don't mean farts, but sometimes there's <laughs> those too. But some, whatever they're putting out, you, you are absorbing whether you want to or not. There's sort of no way around it. Like if, if you're, yeah. you know, that feeling of going in and subbing for someone else and you walk in the door and everyone's face falls. Because oh yeah, talking. that's the best. And that's the beginning, <laughs> right? And then you have to be with those people for an hour and try to try to convince them that actually you're not the worst. And Your voice goes up an octave. You're like, hi everyone. You know, <laughs> right? So you're starting at a deficit place. Please you know, me. And trying to, trying to kind Don't of, yeah, me. clamber back up. Um, oh you know, as a, as a clinician in, in the PT world, there is a, you know, I, I have learned how to, because you really have to not take on the psychological burden of my clients mm-hmm. uh, pain or their mm. emotional state or their psychological state. You know, I, mm. I, I might be thinking about a client and like, oh, I should try this thing with them next time I see them. But that's basically where it, where it ends because it has to, right. I can't, you know, the, the, the story, you know, when you, when you're working with people that are coming to you that are injured or in pain, or they have chronic pain, or they Mm -hmm. had a terrible car accident, you know, five years ago, or, you know, all of those things, it's heavy. It's really Mm -hmm. heavy. And, um, you know, it, it, you, you really do learn to create sort of boundaries for yourself. Um, I have a neighbor who has, uh, Parkinson's disease and, is sort of at that point where they really need a lot of help, but mm-hmm. they're not, uh, they don't want to take it on. They don't want mm-hmm. like a stranger in the house. Like it's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking with my mom about it because I've actually gone over and like physically, you know, helped them when they've fallen and things like that. Mm. And, um, you know, my mom was like, what, what do we do? And I, and I had to be like, you know, I, we don't do anything because this yeah. person's not my patient. They've been extremely clear about what they want and it's yeah. not help. So, right. you know, but it's that kind of thing where you, it, it, it almost mm-hmm. feels cold in a way, but you, you can't take on everybody, you no. know, and their needs. And, and people come to yoga class with that level of need as well, oh, right? Yeah. They've been to a bunch of doctors. None of them have helped them. Mm-hmm. You made them feel better. Suddenly you are, you know, their savior angel, right? Mm-hmm. And there's that sort of burden as well. I mean, have you, have you had that experience? Yeah, I get asked questions all the time, even in email form and Instagram DMs. And then in person, when I was teaching in person that I am not qualified to answer that I couldn't possibly mm-hmm. answer. I mean, uh, because I'm I like we're having we're emailing right now about something that um, if I were if I were able to help you, if I were going to help you as a movement teacher within the scope of practice that I have, I would actually have to watch you move and like work with right. you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing how, how much, uh, I'm solicited for, you know, clinical advice that you wouldn't even be able to give Sarah because mm. you again would have to see that person. Right. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, people are looking for answers and it makes sense to me that they would come to me. I'm sure I've asked people questions that they were, they didn't feel were appropriate questions for them to answer as well um because we 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 seek out the people that we trust and like and whose opinion we value i think trust is probably the first and most important thing about that person and 
And um, and it's it's a good thing that we're you know trusted as movement teachers, uh, but we have to be careful with that because with great power comes great responsibility, yeah. and so the way that you answer questions like that is 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 really important. Yeah. Um, and I've gotten better at it over the years because I think in the beginning when when people would ask me to take on stuff that I you know was inappropriate for me to take on, I would feel uh, bad about it. And, and then also maybe even a little bit anxious about getting it wrong. And, and, and so I would kind of just say like, oh, I'm not a doctor, so I can't answer that question and leave it at that. But now I think I've gotten a little bit more skilled and nuanced at like holding space for them to, to share and talk with me without, without taking on the emotional burden of what they're sharing or feeling bad that it is somehow my responsibility to give them answers, but really to just let them talk through what's been going mm-hmm. on, because sometimes that's enough, right? It's right. enough to have someone listen to you and not offer solutions to your problems. And sometimes that's really what people want too. They don't necessarily need solutions to their problems. They just want to bounce their ideas. They want they want the thoughts that have been rattling around in their head to be spoken out loud to somebody else so that they're yeah. not, they don't feel so alone with them, you know? Yeah. And I think that, but then what you, <clears throat> excuse me, and we're saying about not taking on that emotional burden. I think that's very hard because uh, it's almost like, you know, we feel responsible for that Mm -hmm. person in that moment, right? Because you're the, so, so to be able to not only say like, well, I'm not necessarily qualified to answer that question or or something like that, but also to not think like, oh, well, just because this person shared this information with me doesn't mean like I am now their actual, you know, I'm their person. They, I have to fix this for them. I have to go Mm -hmm research, you know, what, like, it's very easy to take on, you know, other people's need. Mm-hmm. And I think that ends up is as being something that can can burn you out psychologically. Yeah. Well. And I, I think it, it might, for, for me, at least when I would try to um, solve people's problems, you know, when I really probably wasn't my job to, um, I would maybe like give a little too much, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was because at that time, I think I was feeling insecure mm-hmm. about, um, my capabilities of actually helping people and not really knowing what that should look like, given my level of experience and my mm-hmm. scope of practice. I, I was really unclear about the boundaries of, of what it was that I was there to do. And so yeah. I think I would flounder and then feel bad and then feel inadequate. And mm-hmm. now, <clears throat> of course, every once in a while, yes, I still feel inadequate. I mean, who doesn't? But I feel much more confident in what it is that I am able to help students with and then I can do that to the best of my ability and then what I am not able to help them with and in in, in and in holding space for them to share with me whatever is going on and then making it you know clear that that this is what I can do and this is what I can't do but here's who you could go talk to or here's what you could look into or here's the direction I I recommend you you head in to find the person who is qualified qualified to help you um that feels that feels really good to me yeah it feels like okay i i did as much as i could do and first and foremost what i did which is what i can do is i listened and and i listened Mm -hmm. without taking it on and making it my job right right it's like you 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 took the you know it's a hot potato game you took the hot potato and then you just handed it along so that by giving them a reference to somewhere else you don't have to, you're not in charge of finding that somewhere else for them, or you don't, you don't have to do anything else. You're like, here, go, go here. Yeah. 
I, I, um, I remember I was working with a, a more experienced teacher training and a training that I was co-leading with this with this teacher trainer. Her name's Chrissy Carter, by the way. I, I have an, an, a, a lot of respect for her. And she was a senior teacher at Yoga Works. And she said something like we were coaching some teachers on their voice while teaching. And she said something along the lines of imagine that when you're teaching this class, you're sitting in a booth with a friend having coffee. How, how would your mm -hmm. instruction of this pose sound if you were sitting with your best friend in a booth mm -hmm. in a cafe having coffee? And that was just such a light bulb moment for mm -hmm. me and everybody in the room. And then, you know, from there, you know, throughout that training, she would talk a lot about how, you know, your students aren't your friends necessarily. Some of them might be. They're not your friends, but how can you listen to students and how can you relate to students as though they are friends, right? Mm -hmm. So not children, not right. spouses, not, uh, you know, n n not in a way where there's this clear power dynamic, which there is. Let's not pretend there isn't. Teachers are in a position of authority relative to students, but can you adopt this attitude towards students that is friendly? So how would you want to be listened to when speaking to a friend? How would you like that friend to listen to you? And can you actually relate to your students? Mm -hmm. Emo you know, it, take the pressure off yourself and just know that actually it's more than enough to relate to students in a sincerely friendly way. And I've remembered that forever and I've um, since that time and, and, I, and I keep coming back to it because it was pretty profound shift for me in terms of like making it actually enriching and meaningful to listen to students when they come to you with their stories and their problems and then also not feeling like you need to as their friend right go home and really take that on because right. when we get together with our friends and we share parts of ourselves with our friends like it's actually more than enough the friendship is inherently that it's just listening it's mm -hmm. just listening and being there for each other. And right. I think we can have that as, as teachers as well. And that might actually be more cup filling than cup draining then, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're not mm -hmm. putting these unnecessary pressures on ourselves to be more for our students than we can be. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that's, that's, a, that's an amazing, I love that idea of like, you're just, you're talking to a friend in a booth or like the, your relationship is friendly. Like, I think that's great. I think that's great. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Movement Logic, a library of evidence-based movement therapy tutorials to help your students who are in pain and looking to you for help. What most movement teachers need are critical thinking skills to be able to respond to their students' needs in the moment. But let's face it, whether it's a private client or a student after class, questions about what to do about pain and discomfort can be challenging to address for a movement teacher. However, it's possible to be able to address students' needs skillfully using evidence-based reasoning and tools, all while staying within scope of practice. This happens by becoming anatomically and biomechanically informed, gaining a deeper understanding around pain science, and acquiring a diverse set of teaching tools that you can apply immediately. With Movement Logic, you will do just that, all while building a foundation of critical thinking skills to reach a broader clientele. Want a free peek of what you'll learn in our tutorials? Right now on our website homepage at www.movementlogictutorials.com. You can sign up for our email list to receive updates on course sales and discounts. 
When you do, you'll also receive four free pelvic floor videos that take a movement-based approach to working with clients with an array of pelvic floor concerns. Within these videos, we help you understand specifically how the movement or breathing exercise can influence awareness of and connection to the pelvic floor specifically, as well as many other structures it directly influences. Go to movementlogictutorials.com, enter your first name and email address, and get four free pelvic floor videos. And now, back to our episode. And that sort of takes me into my next question about burnout, which is how do we avoid it? Mm. Uh, and if it happens, what do we do? Mm. Um, and, you know, there there's some, some really specific things that I have started to do um, that I, you know, I'm going to be honest, I, I am not always successful at. Few, mm. Past Sarah still sometimes totally <clears throat> does Sarah, future, present Sarah in just in a bad, bad way, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to work at it. Right. Um, part of it is actually allowing space in your calendar that isn't scheduled for anything, not even Mm. just for work, but like nothing like this past weekend, I was feeling kind of, I've been feeling kind of burnt the past couple of weeks. Mm. And, um, this past weekend, I, uh, I had nothing especially scheduled. Uh, and I spent a lot of Saturday and Sunday, uh, lying in my bed, watching movies mm. and it was nice. awesome. Yeah. And when Monday showed up, I wasn't like drained from the week prior. As I go into the next week, yep. I was, you know, excited to go to work. I was happy to be working with my patients. I was excited about the other stuff I was working on. So I think it's really, really important to, to do that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and and keep that space for yourself but it's hard it's hard mm. and especially i think when you are uh beginning you're trying to establish yourself you you have to you may be teaching like a lot of group classes because you haven't gotten very many private students yet a lot of time mm-hmm. the private students come from the group classes or they come yeah. from the workshops or something like that right so there's you know i was last year not working for a lot of last year because i was in treatment um when I started up again in, excuse me, February of this year, there were, you know, all of my prior privates had disappeared as they should have. I wasn't expecting them to like Mm. wait around a year. Right. They needed, they needed care, but uh, there was a sort of chunk of time of like two, three months where it was just crickets in the Mm. private student world. And I was, Mm. I started getting really nervous because I was like, well, this is not all of my income, but there is a chunk of my income that I, that is usually from this category. Right. And then after a few months, suddenly it just was like a avalanche of all of Mm. these people. And it was just, Mm -hmm. it took that time of people seeing me working again and teaching, um, you know, group yoga workshops and promoting things that I was doing. Okay. Like, Oh, Sarah's back, you know? And, and so, so it takes some time, Mm -hmm. but you know, the, the, the value of the private student is obviously like you know, in that period of time, the amount that you're able to earn is sometimes, you know, if you're getting $25 for a group class, you're mm-hmm. earning, you know, potentially six times that much money yeah. in, an, in an hour, right? So it's a much mm-hmm. more valuable hour. Yeah. Um, but early on, it's hard because you mm-hmm. have to, you know, establish yourself in a way. Um, so, yep. so, Keeping some space in your calendar that is not scheduled, I think is, is good. I also, and again, I'm not always good at this, but I try to keep at least one day of the week where I'm not doing 
anything work-related. I'm yeah. not answering emails. I'm not writing content. I'm not doing any of the like, you know, I was going to say back door, but that's not backstage, mm. back end, something in the back. I'm not doing any of the stuff that like behind is the not scenes. immediately physical. <laughs> behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm not doing behind any the of that stuff, right? <laughs> you know, if somebody te- emails me a question, I'm not answering it that day. And, yeah. and there's something, it's hard. It's so hard. But there's something about that where you are prioritizing yourself yeah. as not, not, your, not your work. You're prioritizing yourself and your own uh, sense of self outside of your job. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, there's, a val- there's an inherent value to that, I think. Yeah. Um, Can I share a little bit about how I... Yes, please. How I work with this, this idea of preserving time. Yeah. So I have... A daughter, she's three and a half. And, you know, I'm hearing you speak about like how you would wake up in the morning and like immediately start working. And I remember those days. I remember when Mm -hmm. I would also do that. And it's so funny to think back about my life before Eliana, my life now, and just how different my time is used and allotted because she is, she is seeping into everything, right? Because she's, she's in my, you know, she's in my place of work Um, right now. She's not at daycare, but she's, um, you know, in my life as my daughter. And so she's there in the morning right away when I wake up in bed with me, you know, we'll lie together for an hour. And so then I get up with her sometimes or my husband will get up with her and like, we're taking care of Eliana. And then I pick her up from daycare, you know, a couple days a week and she's, you know, home all weekend. And so it's so much cloudier. The lines are so much more blurred in terms of like, because now I'm fully working at home and I have a daughter, when is my work time? And it can be, you know, something that I look ahead the week prior and go, okay, these are the days that I'm working. These are the hours that I have to work. And then all of that can get thrown out the window because she gets sick or whatnot, something happens, right? Mm -hmm. And so I um, encountered uh, an author by the name of Laura Laura Vanderkamp, who wrote a book called I Know How She Does It. And she's written a lot Mm -hmm. of productivity books. And And I have gone like intensely down the productivity rabbit hole this past like since the pandemic struck, I was sort of like, I got to get my life together because I'm just very disorganized. I'm not using my time well. And so she's one um, author that I've uh, really resonated with her book. I know how she does it, where she basically has you on a spreadsheet track what you do with your time for an entire week in mm-hmm. half hour cells. And oh she calls God. it the mosaic of your life and how you're spending your time. And it turns out, you know, uh, that there are hundred and was it 168 hours in a week and so mm-hmm. this idea that we need to have all of our work happening within a certain time frame and that we we supposedly shouldn't be working on the weekends or we shouldn't be working at night or we shouldn't be working you know at these odd hours as as working mothers and, and also working fathers some of the time but it's usually working mothers that are battling this a little bit more you know this is these types of constraints can be really limiting this mm-hmm. idea that, oh, I should feel bad because I'm, you know, working during this particular time when for some reason I'm expected not to be working. Mm-hmm. And this this tracking system, this this mindfulness system really of just becoming aware of actually how much time there is in a day because there's actually quite a bit of time. There's quite mm-hmm. a bit of time in the week and and using the time when you can to work, working when you can and then when you can't 
being fully present with those times when you're not working and and like recognizing that you have time to work and you've done the work that you needed to do and now this is an inter maybe an interrupted time a spontaneous time when you're not able to work or maybe this is scheduled in where you're not working and to really go just like you would go all in on your work mm -hmm. go all in on your not work right. go all in on these other chunks of time in your day even if it's just 30 minutes 45 minutes where you can sit down and be with your kid and read a book and like feel really good about that and really enjoy and be present with that and 45 minutes is actually quite a bit of time you know you can make pretty profound connections with people in 45 minutes including your child at you know four in the afternoon randomly right so um that book was really paradigm shifting i do recommend it for anyone actually i mean you don't have to have kids to benefit from that type of mindfulness around how you are using your time and how much time you actually have and i found that it was just a very um it it, it did what i like to do as a movement teacher which is is that it, it questioned and helped to um decrease the burden of unnecessary beliefs around how we should be doing things to free mm -hmm. me up to free i like to free my students up to like take into account like that there are so many more possibilities beyond the stories that you're telling yourself about yeah. you know what you can and can't do and when you should and shouldn't do things so it's a great book. That's great. I know we'll how she does it. Show notes. Yeah. yeah, I'll stick that in the show notes. Yeah. One of the things that that you know I was thinking about while you were talking is this idea that um, uh, this this I mean I really like that idea of being like okay well traditionally you know the workday ends at six but for me my entire my day has been taken up with parenting or something I think so mm. my work time is actually like now a couple of hours in this evening I wonder about mm. a couple of things I wonder mm. if you know I mean it's like anything taken to to the extreme that that it, I think it sort of depends on like who's filling in the excel spreadsheet because I think it would be easy to be like oh well I'm just you know I'm giving myself a 15 hour day mm -hmm. uh, because I'm filling every single cell with something right mm -hmm. and I think for some people there is a, a challenge in going from the work kind of mindset that you're in and then yes you've got this time here where you're going to you know relax or or be with someone or, or meet up for dinner or something like that but if it's if it's um sometimes like shorter little chunks of time i think it can be challenging for people to like switch mm -hmm. out of what they're you know where they were with that thing and actually like i come home from from the clinic at the end of the day and I need a good like half hour mm -hmm. at least to kind of just decompress and yeah. not be talking to anyone and just be like puttering around and, you know, maybe I wash my face, maybe I change my clothes, maybe I, you know, listen to some music, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe I stretch a little bit, something like that where it's it's like I, I can't, I need a, a transitional period. You know, what's you know, funny between you... the work and the, yeah. I have always gotten a sense that you're a little bit wiser than me. <laughs> like that you No, no, in all honesty, like I do I know you're laughing hysterically, but no, in all honesty, in all sincerity, I have always gotten the sense that like Sarah really knows herself and mm. your boundaries have come through to me as being like really solid and like and and, mm -hmm. and admirable and and like I learned from you. you on I learned from you in that way. Like you do you do have like a very um uh to me from my perspective clear set of like healthy looking boundaries around 
I work. Uh, okay, I try. so, so, <laughs> so you say that I know that I need this buffer when I come home. Well, what's funny, Sarah, is that I didn't know that about myself until I tracked my time on a spreadsheet. <laughs> like the the tracking of my time mm, on the spreadsheet mm -hmm. actually showed me in a way that maybe I need to be able to see that, like Laurel, you finished mm -hmm. say recording a podcast, and you were not able to do anything that was cognitively high demand for another two hours after that. Mm -hmm. You needed mm -hmm. to spend the next two hours going for a walk, you know, and so I started to recognize that there were these almost like high intensity interval training. There were these high intensity <laughs> cognitive intervals in my day where I, yeah. the work to rest ratio needed to be adjusted because it would be yeah. like two and a half hours of deep work, which for me can look like having, do, recording a podcast. It can look like teaching a live class. It can look like um, writing, right? Writing a newsletter, mm -hmm. writing a blog post, posting on social media sometimes because that's mm -hmm. a fair amount of writing and, and, and you know, work. Weirdly exhausting. Yes. And then weirdly exhausting. And then and then recognizing that like, oh, I just did uh two hours of work, but it was deep work and it was tiring. And now I'm gonna go watch Selling Sunset and <laughs> eat a burrito. Yes. yes. For like two hours. Yes. And then and and I'm gonna feel okay about that because I recognize now that this is the ebb and flow of my energy. This is what's available. Right. And now I've drained myself. And now I need to fill fill up again. And you know what I you know what I realized by doing this spreadsheet. And this is something that Laura Vanderkamp makes a point of, of kind of helping us, you know, discover. I think is that we I I don't work as much as I thought. <laughs> I do mm. not work as much as I thought, right. because <laughs> you might think that you wake up and immediately start working, and then you work straight through until six p.m. But how much of the time between seven a.m. and six p.m. are you actually taking these breaks? And do you mm -hmm. actually realize you're doing it when you're doing it? And are you enjoying it while it's happening? Or are you just in your mind running on the hamster wheel of everything that you need to do after you take this break? So you actually don't stop working during the break. Right. Because you, right. Be, for me, that, would, that was what was happening. I would feel like I was working, oh, at least 60 hours a week, right? No, as it turns out, I'm often working less than 40, sometimes 30, yeah. like really working. 30 hours yes, a week is a lot of work by the way it's a lot of work yes. by the way and we don't we don't need to feel like we are the champions of life because we work 60 hours a week actually let's okay. feel like the champions of life when we do really deep good work for 30 hours a week and then we really enjoy the time when we're not working and this Absolutely. is this is this is my takeaway from this book and i have to say um it was this is one of the better books I've ever read because it did actually cause me to have this this epiphany about myself yeah. that I don't think it's I amazing. I don't know I just like I'm like I'm not Sarah I don't I don't realize these things about myself I'm just like running around and like working and feeling overworked and then and then I sit down and I do this spreadsheet and I'm like wait I'm not actually even working that that much whoa <laughs> well let me say what? this I'm not the 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 thank you first of all for 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 thinking that I'm wise, um, but it usually comes. It doesn't. It doesn't come inherently to me. It comes because uh, of sometimes I yelled at someone and then realized I felt bad about yelling at someone and I had no reason to yell at them. And it was actually because it was during that decompression time when I really can't do anything. Yeah. And I then had to go around and, and actually apologize and mm -hmm. then recognize okay well i don't want to do that again so clearly i need this time when literally nobody says anything to me 
Yeah. Um, so it's it's usually whatever wisdom I might have is usually comes from giant screw ups. Yeah. Um, and then and then trying to learn from it. Um, yep. Me too. But <laughs> what I was gonna. <laughs> oh wait, I was gonna say something else. Oh, what was I gonna say? Oh, that sucks. Well, hopefully it'll come back at some point. Um, yeah. So so allowing. Oh oh, this is what I was gonna say. There we go. Sometimes it just takes a minute. Um, recognizing, you know, what you're talking about is that sort of deep work. One of the things that I had to do was recognize what time of the day am I most capable of doing that kind of deep work and scheduling mm-hmm. it for them. So for me, I, I was, didn't used to be this way, but I am now kind of an early bird. I get up mm-hmm. and my, my freshest, smartest thoughts, my top shelf thoughts are usually- <laughs> Yeah, top shelf thoughts. PM. Right. I like that. Not the not the the well thoughts, but the top shelf thoughts. You know? <laughs> top shelf um, they're, <laughs> they're usually before... I have very little experience drinking anything off the top shelf. So. <laughs> oh, believe me, me neither. Um, but so so they're usually in the morning. So I've learned that I shouldn't schedule like uh, something where I have to teach and have to think a lot at like mm-hmm. four p.m. because mm-hmm. it's going to be harder. It's not that I can't do it, mm-hmm. but. I'm going to, it's going to require more energetic output from me and I might need more of that, you know, non-thinking time Mm -hmm. afterwards, right? Whereas if I put the stuff that, that is more demanding in the morning and then I recognize in the afternoon might be where I just sit down and answer some emails. It's not a particularly effortful thing to do. Yep. I, you know, go on a hike or I, you know, do my laundry or do whatever. Mm-hmm. Then I've set up a day where I'm not uh, making, I'm not setting it up a day where, where the burnout is more likely to happen, right? I'm yep. setting up a day where I'm less likely to, to burn out. And then the other thing that I do, and I again, recognize that like I have the, um, the gift of not having children, which means I'm, I'm completely in charge of what I do when, mm-hmm. but I made for myself, um, you know, and, and again, this, this is what works for me. I made a hard stop 6 p.m. So after mm-hmm. 6 p.m., I do not engage with, I don't like, I'm not like, oh, let me just write that email real quick or what, mm-hmm. because the reason why I started doing that is, you know, there's always something to do mm-hmm. when you work for yourself. There's always something to do. Yeah. And it's gets, it's so easy to just be like, oh, well, I could, I could do this thing and then I could also do that thing and then mm-hmm. that'll be done and da, da, da. And you know, if you stop at 6 p.m., the thing that you have to do will still be there tomorrow and you'll probably do a better version of it tomorrow. Yeah. And, and you'll get to you'll get to experience more of that sort of decompression, downtime, self time that you need. Maybe for someone listening to this, it's not 6 p.m. Maybe it's 8 p.m. Like for me, something about six is like now it's evening and I am done. But also my day starts at like 5 a.m. So yeah. uh, <laughs> so that to me is like that's enough time again, with breaks and whatever in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, and then the other thing is, you know, we, I talked about just how as an independent contractor, we feel like we have to say yes to everything. And in mm-hmm. the beginning, especially you sort of feel that because you are trying to establish yourself, you're trying and to get known, it, you're trying to get kind of true. Yeah. In the beginning, yeah. you do actually have you to have, have a to. little bit, yeah. A, a looser then, filter in terms of what you yeah, let in. Yeah. Hmm. But then when looser you can, filter, our filters loose. Tight, <laughs> large pore filter, like, mesh. Something about some mesh. I don't know. Um, but then, when you can, starting to say no to things um, uh-huh. that are either 
that you recognize as like, okay, this is going to be a, a huge amount of output yep. for very little return on yeah. my investment. Of Everything, my is, a time, right? Everything yeah. is a trade-off. Everything is a trade-off. And sometimes, you know, I still sometimes do things that are really large output, not mm -hmm. a ton of immediate return, but yep. I know that it's going to have an impact you mean like this podcast? down the line. <laughs> what? No, I love this podcast. I would sit here. Me I would, too. I would talk to you all day. It's and a lot of energy maybe, though, right? It is a lot of energy, but it's fun. It's fun energy. It, it is fun energy. It's a hundred percent fun. Um, and that to me is actually what's in it for me. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, you know, you do get a lot of the time early on people being like, oh, will you come teach this free class for my, you know, blah, blah, blah group. And uh, it's great exposure or something. You oh know? yeah, that. And again, sometimes you need a bit of exposure, but eventually, mm -hmm. like I started after a while, I started saying no to free things, mm. not because I was a huge jerk, although maybe mm. maybe that is partly why, you know, but but because it was because um, I didn't want to, right? Like sometimes you can just be like, I don't want to do that, mm -hmm. and um, that's a that's a great place to get to when when you get to make choices for your life that are not always like I should. This is I something think, I should do. I think for a while I was listening to uh, Oprah's podcast because I was finding like some of her interviews were really interesting. And, and Oprah is just a fascinating you know, person. And she mm -hmm. said um, like it was like this it was sort of like this litmus test for whether or not you should take something on or whether or not you should stop doing something, which was like three checks. Check. How do you feel before you do it? How mm. do you feel while you're doing it? And how do you feel after you did it? And if two of the three are, I don't want to do it, or I don't want to do this, or I didn't want to do that, or that was, I don't feel good, it's probably a sign that you should say no, uh, quit it, or, you know, move in a different direction. And that's been, that's been really helpful for me. Um, like when I was first starting out teaching, I would oftentimes before the class not want to teach it because I was anxious. Mm -hmm. But then while I was teaching it, I was super engaged and like really jazzed up and having fun. And then after I taught it, I felt like this wonderful sense of accomplishment. So two of the three were there. Right. Um, right. But I've had I've had the opposite, right, where like in those moments of burnout where I'm bored and I'm like, who cares? Does this matter? Mm -hmm. it, it would be I don't want to teach the class. I'm teaching the class. and I keep looking at the clock like, is it done yet? Can, can I go right. home now? And then mm -hmm. afterwards, I'm like, thank God that's over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, right. Okay, maybe I need to drop that class. Maybe I need to move in a different direction with my teaching. Maybe I need to mm -hmm. go take a training and get inspired and learn something and have new ideas mm -hmm. about things. Um, so yeah, that, that litmus test I find was, was very, very helpful. And I still use it. Yeah. With relationships too. Oh, I like that like, a lot. Like this person wants to hang out. Yeah. How do I feel before, during, and after? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and recognizing the people in your life that are emotionally, what, what, what they, uh, there's this great TV vampiric. show. Vampiric? Yes, emotional vampires. <laughs> um, what we do in the shadows is a phenomenal TV show. And if you're not watching it, oh, you definitely should. Okay. It, it's going to, it's a better way to spend your time, I would say, than, than selling Sunset. But no, there's no better I'm way. There's no better way. <laughs> I'm convinced. Listen, I spent an entire summer watching the British version of Love Island, of which there are five seasons, and I believe something like 50 episodes per season. Like, it's just, it was on TV every single night. Yeah. And it's, it was, I was like, I love these people. Anyway. I know. Every um, once in a while, there's a show like Selling the Sunset where I'm like, this is just so bad. It's good. It's so good. 
Yeah. So bad. Um, the other thing, and then I think especially, I mean, this happened to me when I was a yoga teacher. Um, we may see it more in the yoga world where this idea of, you know, pursuing financial gain as mm. a yoga teacher mm. uh, was sort of this like, you know, almost judged in a way in the, in the world that I was in that mm. like, you know, because your, your yoga practice should be a practice of, um, you know, non-attachment and that your know, your teaching is your your way of expressing you know your your yogic experience and you know that that you know if you were trying to to make more money or that that there was just something about it like that shouldn't be your goal yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't want to make money teaching right right you're and it's like not well, a true yoga teacher yeah I and mean, then but then we have to get real and be like look yeah sure if you're living on an ashram and you don't pay rent you're renunciate yeah yeah no problem you've but left you your family expensive. and all your earthly belongings to, right. yeah. but you live somewhere expensive or you or know household not anywhere yeah yeah you have rent you have mm -hmm. house you know your your expenses of your life um you know there's a certain amount of money that you have to make and so yeah i think there's nothing understand that you know there's nothing wrong with actively pursuing work that is more financially beneficial mm -hmm. like private clients yeah. Or like I used to do corporate classes or you go into a, into a business and, and, you know, do some like, you know, let's unkink your neck for the hour. Cause you've been sitting in front of a computer or something yeah. like that. Like there's nothing wrong with, with actively pursuing that, knowing that ultimately what that's going to do is allow you to liberate some of your own time yes. so that, and then the other piece of that, that is huge. And that I sort of more recently have, I've recognized it for a while, but I've come to kind of really want to make this a, a big part of my work is passive income. Mm. And so passive income is, is again, that sort of like a myth. how much of my work, <laughs> it's a myth. No, it's not a myth. It's not a myth. How much of my work did I put in and how much is that work now generating for me financially? Yes. Yes. So like, you know, the movement logic tutorials that we make, mm -hmm. we put a lot of work into making them. But then, you know, as they go on sale, mm -hmm. there's no more work happening. Right? Well, there's so, a little bit, but but much well, less. But, I mean, yes, that's what I less. mean by pa passive is like, well, there's also no passive stretch because there's a little bit of muscle tone always unless you're dead. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but, but there's something. I mean, you know, there's like, so, there's or, work happening, but it's it just depends on the the intensity level. Yeah, or there are sometimes, you know, like I I just did a course for Yoga You online, and I don't have to do anything else. And uh, mm -hmm. it will be like evergreen on their site, and who knows what it's going to generate. But I don't mm -hmm. have to do anything for that. It's work, you know? work harder, not um, or work smarter, not harder. Smarter, not work, harder. Almost exactly. said work harder, not smarter. Not smarter. <laughs> work smarter, not harder. Um, yes, there but there are better returns you know? on your time investment. Exactly. That are exactly. these potentially smarter ways to work, and you yeah. might want to think about peppering your your schedule with creating more of that yeah exactly and it and it is a long-term strategy because usually that passive income happens after a period of actually a lot of active work exactly and a lot but, of that active work is is yeah. uh professional and personal development yeah yeah totally like figuring out who you are and <laughs> what you want to say right yeah right. i mean it is so um but but that's another way as far as like how do we try to avoid burnout is not having all of our work be like an hour of work equals this much money, but mm -hmm. but starting to have have variety mm -hmm. in that way. 
Yeah. Um, well, one of the beauties of being an independent contractor is you do have multiple bosses and multiple revenue right. streams, which makes you much harder to fire. <laughs> right. Yes, you know, you don't have all your eggs in one basket. And you yeah. can also have multiple types of revenue streams, as we're discussing. And so diversifying your revenue portfolio <laughs> is uh, just smart. Right. And so yeah. you do that yeah. versus, you know, you do that via various types of offerings that, um, yeah. Demand well, it would probably amounts of time. Yeah, like all of this stuff that we're talking about, I just kind of learned it by it happening to me yep. in a way. And yep. I think I think it wouldn't hurt a lot of yoga teachers, especially newer teachers, to actually take some sort of business development course or, or understand these ideas and and apply it to their to their teaching as a way to to help avoid that burnout of like. You know, it's just I'm an I get an hourly rate and it's every single hour has a, you know, things like that, like like learning how to 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 strategize your career. I certainly never that wasn't part of my teacher training mm -hmm. in any way, you know, and it really, again, just sort of happened from me realizing and like that moment where I had enough private clients that I was like, oh, you know what, I can let go of this group mm -hmm. class that I don't enjoy. They don't seem to enjoy me. It's mm -hmm. not a huge you know portion of my rev my income per month. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get to sleep an extra hour or whatever. Mm. Um, or it's, you know, it, it's the only thing I'm teaching on that day. And so now mm -hmm. if I take, if I get rid of it, now I have a day where there's no classes yeah. scheduled. Right. And that gets, so things like that, you know, it really, really allows you to, to diversify. And the other thing too, is that when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. You might not know what that, what you're saying yes to, but if you've got your day booked out or your week booked out, you can't say yes to anything else. But when you do right. start to trim away the things that aren't really giving you enough of a return on your, your energy investment, you, you open up possibilities for, for better opportunities. The key is like being able to recognize those good opportunities mm -hmm. and to, when you don't recognize them, to, to be able to say, no, I'm going to wait, I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold this space free until something like, you know, even better comes along. And I think I'm just starting to to get the hang of that. To be honest yeah, with you, I just, it just <laughs> made me time. think of um, Marie Kondo. It's like you have to Marie yeah. Kondo your work. Yes. Like, does teaching this class bring me joy? Or and via negativa? My thing with the stripping away. With via negativa mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. is uh, is Talib. Uh, what's oh shoot? What's his name? Okay, I we're gonna have to show notes this. <laughs> he's written um he's written a, a number of books uh he he wrote about anti-fragility he's actually a finance okay. guy and wrote you know about anti-fragility and then the movement people took this this concept of anti-fragility anti-fragile um yeah. you know resilience uh is is something that is able to be stressed and become more robust as a result mm -hmm. of stress not break mm -hmm. in the face of stress mm -hmm. so via negativa is one of his philosophies that he wax is poetical about in his books that are um you know not written like someone you would expect in finance actually they're they're pretty mm -hmm. interesting he's a philosopher um gosh i can't remember his last name geez his his first name is taleb or is that it yeah Nassim, Nothing. is it Nassim Taleb or Taleb Nassim, Nassim Taleb maybe. So he, uh, he writes about Via Negativa, which is Marie Kondoing something. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, um, you, you move, you, you create via subtraction, right? Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, you can create a garden via the subtraction of weeds, right? right? To expose right. the flower. You can, you can create, uh, 
discernible areas on your bookshelf for certain types of literature by taking away certain types of books, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is the poetry mm -hmm. section because I've removed the history books, right? Right. Um, via negativa, I think via negativa, especially in a capitalist <laughs> world where more is always better and, um, and you know, we say yes to everything because, uh, because more is better, um, that adopting this, this mindset and this approach of via negativa might be really yeah. uh, life-changing. Yeah. My, um, my thing with Marie Kondo was always, you know, well, my Swiffer doesn't spark joy, but it cleans my house. So mm -hmm. there's some things in my house that yes. I have that are not joy sparking necessarily. Right. And I think that's right. also like the understanding of like, okay, you know, this corporate class that I'm teaching, maybe it's not the most joy sparking of everything I do, but I don't <laughs> hate it. And yeah, it, I get more income versus Egg, if I yes. spend that hour, you know, so it, there's yes. value, right? Recognizing the value. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. Well, thanks. What a good conversation. Yeah, really it was good for me. To you. <laughs> <laughs> was it good for you? Yes, it was um, really good. No, it, it, uh, we... <laughs> it's always, I think, good to be reminded of these, these concepts and this wisdom. Um, Definitely. At every Definitely. stage. So uh, note to our listeners, you can check out our show notes for links to everything that we mentioned in this podcast, and I'll make sure that those two books that Laurel referenced uh, are in there. Um, you can visit the Movement Logic website where you can get on our mailing list, and that way you'll be in the know about sales when we when we make do sales on our tutorials. You can watch the video version of this episode if you like watching more than listening and see what our faces look like uh, when we are thinking. Sometimes my face looks like I'm entered the fourth dimension because I just can't find a word. So uh, that's always entertaining. Uh, and that's movementlogictutorials.com forward slash podcasts um, or podcast. I don't think there's an S on the end. I think it's just podcast. No, I can't, don't you. think we have room um, in our schedule for two, more than one podcast. For two. No, we're just a singular. <laughs> just the single. We're a, sing we're a singular podcast. with the podcast, yeah. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today. Uh, it really helps us out if you subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen, uh, and then also rate and review it in iTunes. We would be super, super appreciative if you would do one of those things, some of those things, part of even just like hit that little star thing, and you might as well just give us five because anything less than five is mean. Uh, and yeah, come on, <laughs> come on, you five star it. admit it. Yeah, you enjoyed this. Yeah, uh, join us next week when we will be once again <laughs> filling your ears with our strong opinions, loosely held. Yes, looking forward to it. <laughs>